What's going on, everybody? I want to welcome you guys to the first episode of the Browns Digest podcast. This is a podcast with myself, Sean Stevenson, and Pete Smith of Sports Illustrated Browns Digest. I hope you guys are hungry because uh, it's going to be a loaded show this week. And this will be something that we bring into you guys every single week on the Sports Illustrated website, as, as well as any platforms that you guys like to listen on your podcast too, whether they be Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Stitcher Radio, we'll be on all those platforms for you so you guys can listen to us on the go. Also, make sure you guys check out the website at sportsillustratedsi.com slash NFL slash Browns where you see daily information, rather be news, uh, featured content, the podcast as well, so that guys can stay up to date with anything going on with the Cleveland Browns, including players, social media, and uh, we want to thank you guys for checking out the first show. Pete, how you doing? I'm good. You're way better at intros than I am. So I'm glad you did it. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I'm definitely excited to do this. Um, This is the first time really I've been able to really do any type of podcasting since my radio show back in college on a consistent basis. I used to do that uh, every Saturday for a few hours. So it's definitely nice to kind of get back in that sphere of of recording some things. Uh, I know you personally, you've done a lot of different podcasts with uh, Jeff Lloyd. Um, a lot of people know him on Brown's Twitter. You know, what's your experience been like with podcasting? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's basically it, people ask me and I and I say yes. So, I mean, I don't know if I need to get that out too much, but uh, it's it's one of those things where like because podcasts are, are growing so much and there are so many that, uh, you know, everybody needs guests or at least they think they do. So a lot of people reach out. So it's interesting to sort of, experience for it, it from different uh, avenues from people who sort of uh, you know scratch and clawed their way up to who have gotten bigger uh, versus people are starting out and it's easy to sort of um, lose track of, of how difficult this is so I try to I try to uh, do as much as I'm able so yeah I mean as in this case uh this is sort of you know you obviously write for the site but this is sort of your wheelhouse in terms of what you're trying to do so uh this should this should be interesting definitely and i could definitely say with in terms of doing a podcast it's a easier experience when you have someone else to talk to um i've done podcasts uh where it's only me and talking to yourself for an hour or more is very difficult uh, versus, you know, when you have someone to come in, even if it's for a short period of time, because it just makes the conversation that much more seamless versus when you're just talking to yourself, you're like, okay, how do I bring up this point? But it doesn't just sound like I'm rambling the whole time where you're talking about yourself. So it's, it's nice that we have, you know, both of us on a, on a weekly basis and um, also having guests on the show is going to be uh, great as well. So we're just going to hop straight into our first topic. Obviously, with free agency starting last week, the legal tampering uh, period started on Monday and the Cleveland Browns made their first big signing with John Johnson, uh, the former Los Angeles Ram. And then also they brought in another defensive back from the L.A. Rams in Troy Hill, the cornerback, a few days later after the official opening of free agency. Uh, so what's your take on the signings of John Johnson and Troy Hill? Coming into this thing, uh, John Johnson and Marcus Williams were the two guys that stood out to me that were the biggest impact players the Browns could get. The Saints tag Marcus Williams and then the Browns are, are fortunate enough to get John Johnson. I, I, I just in terms of what the Browns want to do, in terms of the quality of player he is, uh, I just think he's a game changer for what this for what this defense wants to be. 
uh, just an outstanding player. You know, if you're looking for pro bowls and, and all pros, he doesn't have any of that stuff, but that's not because he's, you know, undeserving. He's just hasn't, hasn't gotten any of those things. And, and some of that is a little bit of a popularity contest. All, all pro is, is legit, but uh, he's just does everything that Joe Woods has said he wants to do. Uh, he can he can play zone and man coverage. Uh, he, he can line up uh, near the line of scrimmage. He can play the deep middle. He can do whatever. And, and I've been a fan of his since he was at BC. Uh, I really liked him coming out. And uh, so for him to now be able to, you, you go from a year where we lose Grant Delpit to the to the Achilles, which was you know pretty devastating. They acquire Ronnie Harrison, who's a really nice. Uh, addition. And, you know, you, you were sort of stuck in the situation where you had like Andrew Sandejo, God bless him. He's trying, he was never signed to play free safety. He was supposed to be a slot guy. And then he gets put back there and he's a disaster. Uh, and you go from that to John Johnson, hopefully Grant Delpit, even if it's not going to be maybe as good as he he might be uh, and Ronnie Harrison, potentially all in the field at the same time. That's, that's huge for, uh, what this defense is and, and some of the competition they face and everything they did. And, and this includes Troy Hill, who's a really nice slot corner is everything is, is sort of competing against the AFC and, you know, going through the playoffs, you know, there were points where the chiefs and the Buffalo bills didn't even pretend they were going to hand the ball off. Uh, they just let their quarterback sit in the backfield and scan the field and, and pick people apart. And if they had to, they, they, they picked up some yardage with their legs so if you're looking at this, it, you know, the Browns obviously played the Chiefs, but how are you going to cover Travis Kelsey? How are you going to cover Tyreek Hill? And the Browns have brought in two players that are going to help them on that front. So that's a huge upgrade for that. And the other team in the AFC Championship with the Buffalo Bills, and they have now four good wide receivers, and they may be, you know, continuing to look to upgrade tight end. Uh, it, it, you know, you know who the Clyde Edwards Hilaire is, is a guy. I don't even know who the Buffalo bills running back is without, without looking it up. So that's, that's the landscape. That's what the Browns have to do if they're going to make the Super Bowl. So they attack those two positions, which is, which is to me is, is with an eye towards how does this team get to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I definitely like the signing of Johnson, mostly because what of he provides in terms of an upgrade over Andrew Sandejo and Carl Joseph. Um, of course, they signed Tedrick Thompson uh, in this, during the season, but he never really made much of an impact while with the team. And the safety play last year was just so worrisome and frustrating that you never knew what type of performance you were going to get from them. When you look at Andrew Sandejo, there were so many times during the season where there's a touchdown down the field, and the first person you see either entering the frame or exiting the frame was always Andrew Sandejo at, at some point. I actually remember um, someone calling into 92.3 to fan, and the first thing they say was, every single time there's a touchdown, number 23 is somewhere around the screen. And that was definitely a big trouble point uh, for me. And granted, Andrew Sandejo was never the person that they expected to be their starter um, with them drafting Grant Delpit, and he's also 34 years old. So he's been on the back end of his career for a while. And Carl Joseph, I liked the signing at the time because 
of the potential gain you could get from him with it only being a one year deal. It's like you prove yourself. Now you could potentially get an extension, but it took a little bit too long for him to really solidify himself on that back end. I would say near the tail end of the season, I saw improved play in terms of what he provided in the box as a box safety around the line of scrimmage in terms of run support. Uh, You've seen that a little bit in the Tennessee game. And then also with the Steelers, um, even though their run game was pretty putrid for most of the year, um, you know, he he did make some plays, but it was never enough to warrant him to be a significant starter. Um, Obviously, he is still a free agent. If they brought him back, I wouldn't be opposed to it just because of, again, what he provided as a box safety. You already do have Ronnie Harrison, who gives you that flexibility to play at the line of scrimmage, uh, play in the box or play that deep free safety. Uh, But overall, I just like the leadership that John Johnson provides. And then with Troy Hill, it was always kind of that question of if they don't get a top cornerback and if they did, you know, who then plays the slot with the addition of Troy Hill, you no longer really have that question. He's going to be that almost marquee nickel back when you're not in the situation where you can have all of Johnson, Dale Pitt, and Harrison on the field at once, especially, you know, you don't know how or how long it's going to take for Dale Pitt to get back into football shape. And Troy Hill kind of gives you that insurance of having uh, five defensive backs on the field. But again, you lose a little bit of that size with him being on there. So where do you think um, Joe Woods is going to be able to really set up his defensive scheme in the way he wants to at the beginning of the season until we really know how healthy Del Pitt is. And they probably won't know that till training camp. Yeah. So I think early in the year, we're probably going to see more two linebacker sets than, than maybe he wants to run. Uh, and maybe they run less three safety stuff early um, just because of that. But I think ultimately we're going to get into a situation where, it, it, you know, his goal is three safeties, three corners and a linebacker. Uh, you know, they, they miss you know, the true nickel with two linebackers would effectively be a sub package. So maybe we see more of that early and then they can sort of evolve to a point where it's just DBs. But, you know, this defense, you know, is designed that the Browns have leads. And if they get leads, then they protect leads by just having a bunch of DBs on the field. And that's really where this thing can take off is just, so much of last year was frustrating because the Browns would get up big and then just give away points and allow teams to get back in into games uh, and, and potentially make them, you know, close enough to lose. Uh, obviously, Dallas Cowboys, Indianapolis Colts, even the, the Steelers playoff game, you know, the Browns took ultimately won those and they they they, they largely controlled them. But there was always the, there was way too much doubt in there along the way. And I think what they've done should really make it so that if the Browns get up, like they score 21 and a quarter, like they did in a couple games or 28, they can close the door between pass rush and now increased coverage. That's really where this thing takes off. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Delpa does. I think part of the reason that Johnson is such a big pickup is he can do everything so they can really focus on what Delpit does well. Now, ultimately, I think Delpit, they, they see a guy who can do a little bit of everything, but he didn't have a rookie year. It was zapped out. And we're not sure, you know, just what he's going to be capable of doing in year two. So Johnson may effectively be setting up 
or allowing Joe Woods to hopefully set up Grant Delpit for success. Delpit has experience playing that deep free. He has experience playing up in the slot. He's big, uh, you know, almost 6'2", and, and like 210, 215 pounds area. That's a, that's a big guy for this defense. So you have that sort of almost linebacker size that could do a lot of different things. And that's the same deal with Ronnie Harrison. He's got experience with playing that deep, strong safety, but he's really good at coming up and playing that second level, which is why I wouldn't uh, write off Carl Joseph. They may still want him back because if they're going to run three safeties, they're going to need a veteran who can actually step in and play, which to this point is definitely not sheltered red wine. Um, So there's some things that are interesting from that standpoint, but I mean, perfect world you're going to see this defense basically start, or at least the way Joseph Woods has done it. It's going to look too high, you know, open up too high. Presumably it's going to be Joseph and Johnson in the, in that those two guys in the back. And then they're going to shift either cover three, cover one, something like that. And one of those two safeties is going to come down and play some sort of man or short zone. And the other safety is going to drop into free. And part of the thing they want to do is to, keep offenses guessing. Uh, per- personally, I wouldn't be surprised and I'd probably be in- encouraged if I saw, you know, a situation where either Johnson or Delpit is, is that single high and they have the other two safeties basically as overhangs up near the line of scrimmage to try to put pressure on tight ends or stop the run or potentially blitz just to get some quick pressure and to disguise some different looks. So there's a lot of, I, I, that's part of this is it just, changes so much in terms of what they could do. The Browns only ran basically two coverages last year because they couldn't do anything else because of their personnel. Now they still have things they need to address, but they can run man, which is a game changer for, for what this defense wants to be able to do. They can run different types of zones and they can really let some of these players shine. Yeah. I think with the, being able to utilize man coverage a bit more, which really goes into the strength of, you know, Denzel Ward, you're, probably going to see another situation where most of the game now that you have those safeties and you have more defensive back depth where he can just shadow that number one receiver throughout the game and then you know you have greedy coming back from that shoulder injury and you know obviously he's going to have a chip on his shoulder ironically after a lot of a lot of fans really counted him out uh, this season without him playing after kind of having a shaky rookie season now him coming back having to prove himself. Uh, obviously, he can see that Andrew Barry is going to be bringing in a lot of talent while, you know, you don't have to pay Denzel Ward and Baker Mayfield those big money contracts. But just digging a little bit deeper into early in the season, you look at the fact that your linebacking core has always kind of been a question mark for the most part. You know, they bring in Anthony Walker Jr., uh, which I really liked as a signing, uh, especially with the glowing reviews that Darius Leonard gave him, uh, you know, on Twitter and social media, mostly because, you know, if a player says that much about them as they're leaving, just imagine the type of impact they're going to have, you know, when joining the franchise. And he essentially replaces B.J. Goodson, who definitely had some coverage issues for a good portion of the season. I mean, he did pick up his play a little bit towards the end, but it was never, you know, spectacular in terms of what he offered in the middle. And then you still have uh, Michael Smith, who resigned on that one year deal. And then you have Mac Wilson, who's I feel like he may be a bubble player entering this season. And then Sione Takitaki, but. We know Taki Taki's role isn't going to be in coverage. It's going to be in those early downs against teams that like to run the ball and really kind of just setting a tone. So in that situation where you can't run those three safeties, 
what type of impact do you think the linebackers are going to have, you know, early in the season until we can get to that ideal, you know, base four down defensive linemen, maybe one or two linebackers max and then five DBs? Well, I mean, the, the way they have their linebackers set up is they have pretty specific roles for the most part. I think uh, Jacob Phillips is sort of the guy that I think they would like to see do a little bit of everything and be a true will. But right now, Malcolm Smith is a coverage linebacker. He he got, he gets worn down when he has to consistently make tackles near the line of scrimmage, but he's good in coverage. I mean, that's just what he does. And they got him for barely a million dollars compared to that to like, you know, the, the, kid who signed in Tennessee uh, getting like five and a half million dollars, which is somebody a lot of people wanted. Uh, The Browns just don't view the position that way. Uh, Anthony Walker is a hammer looking for a nail as a run defender. He's a very smart guy, but he he doesn't really give you a dynamic presence in coverage. Although he did pick pick, pick Baker Mayfield off last year. He has three career interceptions and Mayfield is one of them. Um, yeah, and obviously, look, Darius Leonard. I've I met him in the senior senior bowl. Uh, I, I should have asked him then to to be on reserve in case I need somebody need need him to give my eulogy. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly that that gives you a lot of excitement in terms of the type of player he is. Obviously, that was a big reason they liked B.J. Goodson last year. Is he was a leader. Uh, a, a good character guy, you know, accountable, all those things. And he can sort of take control of that room a little bit. And, and Anthony uh, Walker is in that same vein of sort of being a, a, a leader and a really smart guy and knowing everything that, you know, he needs to know. And if, if he can have sort of that effect, you know, where he makes other guys around him better, like Leonard says he does, that's a huge uh, added bonus. I think, contractually that's probably the biggest question mark to give him three and a half million dollars for a year based on what he's sort of done. Uh, I think all the other contracts are, you know, easily praised. I mean, you're barely paying $5 million this year for John Johnson, which seems like theft. Uh, So we'll see exactly how that plays out. But right now, if you were to say, you know, let's say you're playing the Tennessee Titans again, you know, they, they're going to have Andrew Billings back at the nose. They can put uh, Jordan Elliott at the three and have those two hulking defensive tackles and then put Taki Taki and Anthony Walker behind them and just have two huge guys who are just physical at the point of attack and, and are really specialized to take out the run and then sub those guys out for Malcolm Smith and Jacob Phillips or just, just one of them uh, when they go to obvious passing situations. And really, I think – the most interesting part of what, what we're going to see this year is, is what can Jacob Phillips do hopefully fully healthy because last year when I was watching him in training camp, he was really impressive at how fast he could diagnose. Uh, He was quick, quick to the ball. Uh, He beats blocks to the point of attack, which is what he did in college. Uh, And he was only 21. Uh, So when you watched him on tape, it really jumped out just how smart and how quickly he could process now, the, the thing was when he was coming into the league, he was small. Again, 21, a lot like Nick Harris. These guys, you know, they're not all Jedrick Wills where they come in, you know, massively strong. Uh, they're going to take a little while to get an NFL body. I'll be curious to see if Phillips this year has more of an NFL body uh, in addition to staying healthy and if he doesn't, you know, have a little bit of a jump. But if he can do, you know, a few more things, maybe he's a guy who who – 
can play on more downs and, and, and fulfill more of a role. But right now it's all about role players and, and fitting specific goals in mind. If they want to stop the run, they've got people that can come in and do that. If they want to mix and match, they can do that. If they want to go pure coverage, they have the means to do that. So, and that's, that's really how I think they view linebacker. You know, it's, it's about DBs never come off the field. So, you know, you invest wisely in Troy Hill, you invest wisely in John Johnson and, and hopefully uh, some of these draft picks and Denzel Ward presumably will get extended, you know, linebacker just for them uh, linebacker just isn't that way. So they'd rather just get specialists that don't cost much. Uh, I think the whole room may cost about $6 million. Uh, And, and if they can get productive, if they get what they got out of that room last year, they'll be thrilled. I, I think, other than than Mac Wilson, who struggled, I think for the most part they were pretty pretty uh, satisfied with what they got out of Goodson, what they got out of Taki Taki, who got a lot better over the course of the season, and obviously with Malcolm Smith, who's back. So it's really a, a question of can they get more out of the defensive line and can they get more out of that secondary? Because if they can just keep stable with what, what linebacker got them, I think they'll be pretty thrilled. Yeah, and and that's what the modern NFL is all about is understanding your matchups and how to basically adjust on your opponent because it's never going to be a this is the type of team we're going to be on a week in a week out basis I mean you look at you know the Tennessee Titans for example which is a team I feel like is kind of always going to be a baseline of a playoff team when you look at the Titans they're not going to change much in terms of what their identity is you know they're going to line up in heavy personnel sets and they're going to run the ball they're going to try to control the clock and they expect their defense to basically uh, mitigate how many points their opposing team can score. And that's that's who you know they are. With the Browns, you know, we have the ability with that wide zone scheme to, you know, run the ball. Then in situations like we saw last year when Nick Chubb went out and we have to lean on Baker Mayfield more, where we can become a team that can throw the ball more consistently. Uh, one of the things I would definitely want them to show is an ability to throw the ball with success on a consistent basis, not off a of play action. Um, you know, obviously it's a lot easier to get big plays down the field when you have linebackers or safeties slightly hesitating, allowing receivers to get open or, you know, make a wrong read that can have somebody get open down the field. We've seen that a lot of times with like Austin Hooper or uh, Harrison Bryant on the opposite side of the field um, when they run those like kind of drag wheel routes across the formation definitely helped. But, you know, focusing on the defense of part is those linebackers understanding this is your role when you're in here, do that at the highest, you know, possible level that you can and try to mitigate mistakes. I feel like that's one of the reasons too, why a lot of people kind of harp on Mac Wilson is he, he flashes at times. Uh, I mean, just on Twitter today, he had that clip of him making a play on Derrick Henry. It's one the, play. Yeah, it's, it's just one play. If there's different situations where you've either you've overcommitted or you've missed a hole that the running back just ran through or you're in the wrong spot in coverage, that becomes more of an issue. You know, it's 11 men on the field. You only have to focus on doing your job and being in the right space. So, I mean, if the defense, like you said, they can get the same play out of linebacking group and then a little bit more from the interior. I feel like the interior playing the defensive line um, was kind of inconsistent. Um, obviously, depending on what they do with Sheldon uh, Richardson is going to be huge. Um, but like I said, you just want to see more consistent play out of the defense. So looking at 
overall with free agency, what grade would you give Andrew Barry uh, this year? Well, so far, I mean, I like everything he's done. So, I mean, uh, without knowing what 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 he might have done that he didn't like, did, was there some deal that was out there he didn't pull the trigger on? Like, I would have loved to sign. Uh, I've been complaining about this endlessly, and it, it probably will never matter. But I would have I would have jumped at the chance to sign Tyson Alu Alu uh, to be the backup nose to uh, Andrew Billings, and he went to the Jags for two years, six million dollars. Uh, he's had a Calais Campbell like run in his thirties. And I feel like that would have been really good to get to, to really fortify that position. Now they went and signed Malik Jackson, uh, who, who's a good player. Um, another guy who gets to the quarterback. Uh, and it really just asks, it begs a question of what, how do they view defensive tackle? Are they going to get another nose? Uh, are they, you know, are they content with what they have to, is Jordan Elliott going to play there a little bit? Uh, but overall, you know, there's still the two biggest holes are still to the two biggest holes, which are defensive ending and, and boundary corner. But for what he's done, I mean, I, I would can't really complain. I, I, I mean, I give him like an A minus because I, I feel like there's probably some, you know, one, I don't think he's done yet. Um, I, I think that they still have some some things they're looking at, but what they've done. I mean, the John Johnson contract is a thing of beauty uh, there. You know, there's an out in it after two years, but unless he gets hit by a bus, he's going to be here for three and they're probably going to talk to him about an extension. Um, the deal to get Troy Hill looks great. Uh, two years up to 10 million, you know, he's 29 going to be 30. That's perfectly reasonable, but all the contracts that are multiple years are, escalating with the cap and and i'm not going to get into this idea that the cap's suddenly going to skyrocket but you do want it to go in that direction the bronze are sort of pinched a little bit right now they're trying to get maximized value and and they've really done a nice job of giving themselves a window like i said i think anthony walker is the contract you could complain the most about but i think he'll be fine if for no other reason i think bj goodson was way was better than we thought he would be last year uh, and he only costs 2.4 million. So if you can get more out of Anthony Walker than he has to this point in the same way that Goodson gave you more, I think you're going to be really happy with that. Malik Jackson, again, getting guys to get to the quarterback. Anthony Walker is the only guy they've signed that isn't specifically to stop the passing game. And even he's trying to set it up so you can directly stop the passing game because he's just a, a specific run defender. But everything else is stopping the pass, which is exactly where you want to be. I love initially like I, I I like Adrian Claiborne. I, I think he he's a good player, but when I thought about uh, why you would bring in Taki Taki or I'm sorry, attack uh, McKinley, I really like the move. Uh, and again, it, it's, it's watching the playoffs last year. You know, Adrian Claiborne is really good when he can go after a, a relatively, uh, you know, immobile target quarterback. He's really good at defeating blocks. But when guys roll out away from him, you know, he's just not a, a guy who has much speed. Tack McKinley is a sprinter. Like he will fly off the ball. And, you know, if you want to try to run away from you, he will chase you down. He's got plenty of highlights where he's chasing guys down like, you know, Cam Newton and some of these other mobile quarterbacks. And the AFC has Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, 
you know, we, we see Carson Wentz going to the Colts where I think he will be better than he has been. Uh, you know, I think Justin Herbert, we'll see just how good the Chargers are, but he's a guy can move. You know, if, if Deshaun Watson stays in the AFC, he's another guy that can move. There aren't any real statue quarterbacks in this conference. So you need somebody who can line up wide and just run after them. So if they hang onto the ball, he's going to punish him for it. And in particular, I think what you're going to see him do is line up on the left and try to take away throw, the throwing hand side, particularly for a guy like Josh Allen, because that's, you know, every game I watch the bills, it's always take away his right hand and nobody ever does it. I think that's what this is going to be. He's going to at least make it harder for, for a guy like Josh Allen to, to get to his throwing hand side rolling out. Um, and then Richard Higgins, I, I was confident he was going to go elsewhere because I thought there'd be more money and he comes back for $2.3 million. And I think I, I still have major questions about wide receiver, but I, I love the player. I love the deal. So, I mean, like I said, a minus and, and even that feels like I'm being hard on him. Just I, I, I love everything he's doing from talent to character to, although Malik Jackson does have a question on that front. Uh, with his uh, issues with, with his uh, comments about Louis Farrakhan, but overall they got some, you know, guys who are relatively solid human beings. Uh, They're not massive off field issues and they're talented and they make this team better. So between that and and managing better than, than previous administrations have in terms of the cap, I think he's doing a great job. Yeah. um, For me, I gave him a, a, a solid B plus, um, kind of borderline B. Now, I know that might be surprising for a lot of people, but for me, it was the, I would say more of the the lack of solidifying who's going to be your edge number two. Now, I know with Tack, there's the ability for him to surprise everyone and reinvigorate his career, get back to, I believe it was either his rookie season or his second year in Atlanta, where he really showed his ability to get after the quarterback. But, there's been so many times where you look at these either first round picks or second round picks uh, that had really good numbers in college. And then they just never replicate it once they get to the NFL or, you know, really give you a consistent play. And that was really the outside of safety. Um, for me, it was really uh, addressing edge. Now, obviously, we still do have the draft in order to do that. And I think that may be the direction that Andrew Barry will go. Uh, obviously, you still have someone like Melvin Ingram or Jadavion Clowney. I believe Justin Houston still may be on the market. Uh, so there's still some veterans that you can get on a, uh, you know, on a decent deal where you're probably not going to make a long term commitment to them. But at least you have someone that has a resume in the NFL and you know, for the most part, what you're going to get out of him. But then again, looking at McKinley's deal one year at four point two five million, you're not expecting, you know, someone to really be this dominant pass rushing force. You know, they didn't give him 60 million like the uh, Bengals gave to Trey Hendrickson or 15 million a year like Carl Lawson got or I think uh, Yannick Ngakwe got like 13 a year. And it was obvious that Barry didn't want to spend that much money. So for me, you know, that gives him a higher a higher grade in terms of getting closer to that A because he didn't overpay for edge. Um, that's really my biggest takeaway from what he's been doing in terms of free agency. And something that you mentioned earlier was the way that he structured his contracts. Uh, when you really look at 
I would say for most of the defense, with the exclusions of anyone that they've drafted, they haven't committed, you know, significant dollars for the most part outside of really John Johnson. And even then they have an out after two years uh, for anyone on the defense, you know, until someone shows, OK, this is going to be a core player on our defense. He hasn't really dedicated a lot of money and also to when a lot of these contracts end are also around the same time periods that, you know, some of our starters that we've drafted will be coming uh you know their contracts will basically be expiring you look at um greedy williams for example troy hill's deal really is about for two years greedy's rookie contract will be done in two years um you look at denzel he has pretty much this season and the next season since they picked up his fifth year option so really two to three years from or i would really say two seasons from now you pretty much know you know, who's going to be here and who's not going to be here because they have that ability to either sign someone to a contract extension before the cap continues to go up. and You have to pay that player more money or you just pretty much know, OK, it's time for us to move on. They're not giving us that weekly performance that we need from them or there may be better options, rather it be free agency or through the draft. But obviously with the draft, it's still a relative unknown until they actually take NFL snaps. So for me, um, if he can find a way to bring in an edge two or provide more cornerback depth uh, that will, you know, jump him to an A. But overall, I'm, I'm extremely satisfied what he's doing. And again, just giving himself that long term flexibility with the cap. Um, so moving on to Rashard Higgins, you've already kind of uh, discussed, you know, how you feel about the signing. Me personally, um, I was kind of on the fence of. Should they sign Higgins? Should they not? Just because of the kind of similar play style that you get with him in Jarvis Landry and you're already paying Jarvis a lot of money. And I know you're kind of in the boat of, you know, <laughs> Jarvis gets a lot of money and you could definitely be ad- allocating that somewhere else. But for me, I really appreciate the connection that Mayfield has pretty much had since his rookie season with Higgins. And I think that goes a lot further than I feel like some people are giving it credit for what, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, between 2018 and 2020, the, the, the efficiency between those two is ridiculous. It's something like 11 yards per target. I mean, that's insane. I mean, he uh, Higgins just has a sense of how to get open and, and he gets open in, in, a, in an area of the field that, that helps the offense, which is what I really like about him and what I, what I criticize about Landry you know, he's working basically in the same neighborhood as the tight ends, which I think is very frustrating for me in terms of how you space out defenses. Higgins is an intermediate guy. Like he hit over 30% of his receptions go for over 20 yards, you know, tech, you know, explosive plays. And I think that's really critical for what you want to do. Now, what I think is ultimately going to happen, uh, having already gotten this loud wrong on Higgins likely going elsewhere is I think they're not going to restructure Landry and he's going to be gone after next year. And perhaps the thought process is that then Landry will, or uh, then Higgins will step in and take that role, which frankly, I think he's already earned, but this is the path they've chosen. Uh, I, I think, you know, if it were up to me, I think the best thing they could do would just be to go with Beckham Higgins, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones, and then add, more receiver help through the draft, but where they're at, I I still feel like they need to add a more explosive component, but if they are going to do more 
to incorporate the tight end position than they did last year. I think they're going to be able to be a little more creative with that. Uh, I think that should help. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, again, Higgins is a good player. And ultimately, the the goal here is to get good players. So $2.3 million for a good player is a win. Um, I think if problems exist, they aren't going to be him. They're going to be elsewhere. So uh, that's where it becomes difficult. Like if you're saying you don't want to sign him, it's largely a question of, or, or it's basically because of other factors, which are outside of his control. So uh, I like the player. I like what he and Mayfield have uh, when he's on the field and they're throwing the ball to him. The, the offense is better. And, and, and I know, you know, he had the fumble, whatever. It should have been a penalty, but he, he had the fumble. But he was still a good receiver in that game. Like, he was the one guy who was able to – him and David Njoku were the guys who really shined in that game. So, uh, to me, I think – look, Higgins is not going to get faster. He's not going to get much stronger. But he is what he is, and I think what he is has a value in this on this roster, has a value to Mayfield, and, and there's a confidence there. And I think – you know, if they get into situations where he's like your fourth receiver or, or your fourth option, fifth option, that that can be very dangerous, especially when we add the Beckham component back in and hopefully it's better than it has been. So, you know, the, the frustrations I have with receiver hopefully will take care of themselves. The, the Browns coaching staff is basically making the point, making the argument, and I can totally relate to it is, you know, you, you want as many great options as possible and we'll figure it out, you know, as we go. You know, as an outsider, I, you know, I, I sort of want that control and be like, you know, I'll fix this for you. Not unlike with John Dorsey trading away uh, Carlos Hyde to uh, make it so it was Car- uh, Nick Chubb as the starting running back. We'll see how it goes. I, I, I still believe that they're going to draft a receiver with speed. Jo- Jojo Natson's contract has a bunch of per game bonus with it. I don't think he's going to see it. I, I think. Look, he's a good punt returner. He was way better than what they had uh, the rest of the year. But if they get another guy in there, I, I think he's going to be expendable in a hurry. So, yeah, for me, um, in terms of JoJo Natson, I think that we may see another situation where, you know, early in training camp, when people were kind of doing that 53 man cut down, a lot of people didn't see JoJo Natson um, making that final roster. But when you look at the fact that Taewon Taylor has stuck around for a long, as long as he has, and he's always really just been kind of like that veteran guy that I think they maybe just kept around for what he offers. Because even when um, John Dorsey traded for him, I never thought he was going to like reinvigorate his career or anything like that. Because even when he was in Tennessee, uh, being a first round pick, it, it was obvious. I mean, he was a bust. He didn't uh, offer much to the offense. But I think what JoJo offers as a returner it's much more of a bigger value than just saying, okay, this is the number of receivers that we have on our roster. And if you're going to be on the final 53, you have to make some type of impact as a receiver. Uh, when you look at Dearness Johnson and um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I don't think they really used anyone else um, in terms of returning last year. I know at, at some points at a couple of years ago, Dontrell Hilliard and Tavier Thomas got some play, but pretty much since Josh Cribbs, which is sad to say, you haven't seen anyone provide any type of spark for the most part on a, on a consistent basis. Now, obviously, you're not going to see someone returning uh, kickoffs and punt returns for touchdowns, you know, throughout the season. You know, those guys come once in a lifetime. 
Uh, when you look at like Devin Hester, Josh Cribbs, I mean, somewhat you kind of look at Cordero Patterson as someone that kind of adds that type of impact. But when you have a guy with such blazing speed like JoJo, I think that alone, you know, keeps his value with the team. And he's only there for a one year deal. You know, obviously the contract details haven't released, but I wouldn't expect it to be a lot of money. Um, but I also do agree with you in terms of they should add more speed in the draft. Uh, and I think it's going to be tough to find a big body receiver with speed. Um, I pretty much think you get one or the other, and they already kind of have that bigger body in Donovan Peoples-Jones. But as we've kind of seen throughout his rookie season, he's not going to be a guy that you know just beats someone over the top. He can make those contested catches. He uses his body. He kind of gives me like that former basketball player vibe where he just boxes out smaller defensive backs and just makes catches while using his body, which definitely has you know his benefits. And then just looking at Higgins, there were definitely moments throughout the season where Baker would throw a ball outside of the numbers and somehow in man coverage or even against cover two, Higgins always was able to make that sideline catch deep down the field, either like on a third down or just make a big play to keep some momentum um, at different points throughout the game. And I really feel like that's really his biggest value with the chemistry that he offers with Baker Mayfield. Because like you said, when you look at Jarvis Landry and his impact, you know, obviously he's been the most consistent player in terms of the wide receiver room, and that goes without debate. But when you have so much money already committed to Austin Hooper, who didn't really give you a lot of production last year, at least for based off how much he's getting paid, and then of course you're going to expect a bigger jump out of Harrison Bryant, David Njoku's not going anywhere with his uh, fifth year option being guaranteed at the start of the league year uh, this past Wednesday. You want to see Landry help kind of open up something for the tight ends versus like you said they're all kind of working in the same area so once a ball is thrown uh underneath or targeting someone in the slot it's usually Jarvis Landry and then Austin Hooper or Harrison Bryant kind of just gets the last little bit of targets um so I, I definitely want to see something change in terms of the tight ends uh I, I know that's not something that we had on the show notes for today but how do you think the tight ends in the receiver room will kind of make their role or, you know, have their impact next season? So David Njoku's salary is guaranteed, but they can trade him. It's just wherever he ends up, the salary is guaranteed. I don't think they will trade him. Um, I think they think he's more valuable than a lot of people do. Uh, I, I think if they had got, if they were to get a, a defensive player that was going to play, they might do it, but that's a difficult needle to, to thread. Uh, I think they're going to flex them out a lot more this year. Uh, that was something they couldn't really do last year. They did everything in line, but, and, and they didn't use them enough vertically. That was the thing that was so frustrating. I think last year is it always felt like they were playing in the red zone because the defense was always able to sort of just be down and uh, in, in forcing these really tight window throws. And the Browns were sort of relying on, on the ability to create spacing horizontally as opposed to vertically they just didn't have enough of a, a component once once Beckham went down. Uh, and then even, you know, it was even noticeable when Hodge was out for seven games that how much it sort of squeezed things down. And then Najoku has the three receptions in the first game against the Ravens for like 50 yards. And he has one really nice catch, you know, sort of down that, that left seam. And then and he gets dinged up and we don't really come back to it. Then, you know, again, in the playoffs, he looks great. 
like he he shows off all this ability and, and and you know I'm surprised more people aren't excited about him based on that. He's a big strong kid who's like constantly throwing dudes out the club as a blocker in a way that he hasn't done it. And that's he was never a bad blocker. That was such a weird thing that people he was not a good pass blocker, which he he improved. He was a guy who at least got in the way. Now he just dominates people. Uh, and and there's so many highlights of him just absolutely teacuping guys. So there's a lot to like with him, but I think flexing him out and being able to attack uh, either to the sideline or more vertically can really create a lot of different uh, looks. And I agree with you on Austin Hooper uh, contract aside. He just wasn't as good as I think we thought he would be thought he could be. I think he got better as the year went on. But I think he's going to be a lot better in year two. I, I, I certainly hope so, because it, it was not he wasn't what we thought we were getting in year one. And I think he'd probably be the first person to say that he was a good blocker, but just didn't give us that impact as receiver. Like he would catch balls and immediately fall down. He didn't give you any real yards after the catch, which is where Najoku sort of shined. So I think he's going to do more. But I think if you can sort of just switch up the dynamic where if the tight ends are pressing a little bit more vertically, then that creates some space for Beckham, you know, working on a drag, which was tough last year. He, you know, he'd catch some of these short passes with room to run, but the defense was already down there because he's the only meaningful vertical threat. So if you create more space for him, I think he can do more damage with the ball in his hands and just creating more space on the field in general. So I think Njoku can really do that. Harrison Bryant, you know, is a nice player. I, I, you know, he had a successful rookie campaign. I, you know, he had the fumbles fine, but for a fourth year, for a fourth round rookie tight end in a position that usually takes a couple of years to figure out, I think you got a lot out of him. Uh, so there's just, it, it, it's, you know, it's like everything else with this. I think the tight end position is a lot like the interior defensive line last year. We thought we were getting more out of it than we than we did, and I think this year we will get more out of it than 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 uh, last year. Definitely. Um, so, looking, you know, at free agency, and like we've already talked about with Austin Hooper, he was the one that really got that significant contract early on. Uh, obviously, they brought in Jack Conklin, uh, and those big money signings. You like look at John Johnson; those are typically the ones that get the most media coverage uh, in terms of like favorite under the radar signings for me. And it's really just a re-signing and a lot of people really don't talk about it, but Andrew Barry bringing back Cody Parkey, I think is going to give more benefit than a lot of people uh, think, or it's not talked about as much. Uh, when we really look at the kicker position over the last few years, um, there was obviously a, a lot of um, moving in and out with Austin Seibert. Uh, he just always was kind of missing uh, extra points, would definitely changes your game plan when you're automatically down one point if the other team made theirs, um, where you always kind of have to think in the back of your mind, when do we go for a two-point conversion um, or just field goals, things like that. And for him, if, for him the consistency that he showed, one – where I believe it was either from 40 yards, 40 to 50 yards, he didn't miss. Um, I, I may be wrong, or maybe he might have missed one between 40 and 49 yards. But just around that range where you can kind of be money, 
I definitely think that's a big benefit from the offense because now you're looking at situations of if it's a borderline 50-yard field goal and it's, say, third and long, now you're not forced with a situation of we have to get this first down because we don't know what our kicker is going to do. And three points is much better than we drop back on third and long, you get a sack or you get an incompletion, and now you're pretty much forced to punt. Um, And three points over the course of a game can definitely make a difference. We see it every year. There's games where a kicker has six field goals. They don't really score a touchdown, but the other team isn't doing anything, and you win a game because your kicker was able to be consistent. And I definitely think they should still bring in someone, um, not draft a kicker. Obviously, I still don't think that's something you should do, which was definitely bothersome that Dorsey drafted uh, Cyber. I think it was in the fifth round where you could definitely get a player that could offer more benefit and just sign them undrafted. But I think they should definitely bring in a kicker, rather be another veteran or uh, one of these uh, college kickers, and just to get that competition so that Parky's playing at his highest game. But if we can get that same consistency from him or he even becomes more accurate, especially with those PATs, um, I think that's going to be a huge value re-signing that a lot of people weren't talking about. So, yeah, he, he only missed two from 40 to 49. Okay. He, he, was, he was sketchy in the 30s. That's what it was. Yeah. He, he missed, he missed like, I think, three in the 30s, and then he missed four extra points, which is weird. And then he never kicked one over 50, um, which may be more of a reflection of the way uh, Kevin Stefanski is aggressive in that area of the field than necessarily uh, a reflection of Cody Parkey. And then they do have – Matthew McCrane, who was on the practice squad last year, who signed a futures contract, that may be the competition for him uh, as far as, as that goes. But he was really consistent for a good stretch of the season. Then he had sort of this, this small mini slump where people were ready to dump him overboard. And then he, he, he got right uh, in the playoffs and was three of three on field goals there. So look, I mean, it's one of these things where, you know, I don't get too attached because if, if, if things go wrong, they could easily just dump him and, and bring in somebody else. Uh, but you know, they, they got a good year out of him and that's all you can hope for is you, you hope it's, it's a, another beneficial year. And then the other part of that is that, you know, uh, Mike prefer likes to kick the ball inside the five on kickoff. Uh, and Austin Seibert was really good at that. And Cody Parkey's really good at that. And that may also play a role. Uh, you know, they want, you know, I don't, they weren't good at it last year. It was definitely frustrating. They weren't good at keeping people inside that 25 area, but that is something they want to be able to do uh, as opposed to just bombing it out of the back of the end zone. So if they continue to upgrade uh, their special teams, which they're going to have to, because they've lost a couple guys uh, in that, in that realm, they kept Elijah Lee, which I, which I like uh, if they can upgrade and, and, and get better in that area of the field and containing it, then, then, then uh, Parkey has an added value and they can hopefully pin some teams inside the 20 or inside the 25. Maybe they cause a turnover one of these games uh, that, that, that didn't happen last year. So, you know, as excited as you, I mean, it's not saying Gonzalez, which would have been the home run for me, but uh, Cody Parkey is a good professional kicker and that's, all you can really ask for at, at this stage of the game. Yeah. So uh, for you, um, who would you say is your, your favorite under the radar signing that has been talked about a lot? Favorite under the radar. I, I, I mean, for me, it's tack. 
uh, you know, I, I'm with you. He's not number two defensive end. He's just not. Um, I think, you know, a, a guy I really hope that, you know, they've got Melvin Ingram out there. They, you know, Jadavian Clowney's probably going to be available in another month. Uh, I really like Carlos Dunlap. Uh, he's been great basically his entire career. Uh, and I don't know how much, you know, if it would cost all that much to get him, that may be the sticking point. Uh, maybe he just doesn't want to go to camp. I don't know, but he's got that size. And I think that's a big factor of what, what, what I like about him in the same way that I like JJ Watt as a potential guy is it's all about protecting that second level. And if you're going to have smaller guys that fly around, that becomes more important, but I don't expect McKinley to be a revelation or anything, but for what they have him here to do, I think he's important. And it's weird. Like, I don't know why it stands out to me, but how many, how many times I've heard players who go to the Atlanta Falcons who leave and, or, or maybe they stay there. Roddy White's a good example who for whatever reason didn't like care about football for a while and seemed to get in some weird funk. Like Roddy White was eating fast food all the time and, he didn't really like kick into gear to get it serious until I think year three or year four. And then he sort of took off. But McKinley, you know, in his press conference is talking about how he, he got to Atlanta and he, he sort of felt like it was sort of owed to him that he would be great. And he didn't, you know, prioritize it as much as he should have. And he's trying to, you know, figure it out. And, and in some ways the Browns have done this before uh, Sheldon Richardson, you know, is a guy who had had some issues with maturity and, you know, obviously staying on the field uh, hasn't been an issue, but he did have, you know, uh, one significant incident where he was going like a hundred and something miles per hour with a kid in the back seat and stuff. He is a guy who's grown up and maybe that's what they can get an attack. And if that is the case, then maybe he is going to be a nice little gem, but for the role he has, I think he'll be a good player. He may not even record like a ton of sacks, but just preventing what quarterbacks want to be able to do in rolling out, I think is going to be a, a big benefit for this team. Definitely. So, um, you know, as, as we begin to kind of wrap up the show, what, what move do you think Andrew Barry should make next? Right. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a veteran defensive end. I don't think they want to go into the season with potentially Tack McKinley as a starter, and I don't think they want to go in with a rookie as a starter. I think they want to get another veteran. Uh, and I think they feel, I, I think they feel more confident in what they can get early in corner, particularly as I think they probably want to get somebody with more length at corner and some of the draft options out there where the Browns could be picking or maybe trading back a little bit, have some of those, you know, JC Horn is a guy, I don't think he'll last that long, but if it's a, Ifatu Melifonwu or a Greg Newsom from Northwestern. Those are guys are longer than, than what they have in Ward and Troy Hill. So they may feel better about that. So I think the thing that I would prioritize, I also think the market is there. I think there's more options that can, you know, make it work is getting that second defensive end and really upgrading this rotation. Yeah. So it might sound a little weird, but I think in terms of, moves or what Andrew Bear should do next is really just be patient. Um, and I know that might sound a little bit weird for free agency, but I think given everything that has transpired over the past year and how really COVID has affected everything, um, 
there's kind of this situation where a lot of free agents, you know, obviously it's only been one week, but there's still going to be some, I feel, veterans that may not sign with the team. Uh, you know, granted their health may play a factor in or not. Like someone, maybe Jadavion Clowney, for instance, who's been dealing with the injury, he may not sign until later when teams have more time to evaluate their roster. But I think heading into the draft, uh, these are the needs that you want to address. Um, obviously, edge is going to be one. Um, I don't think there's going to be a situation where they don't draft an edge player. Um, you definitely want to see someone be added in terms of uh, boundary corner. I, I definitely agree with you in terms of adding some length, uh, potentially a linebacker, uh, definitely a defensive tackle. Um, but I think if you allow the team, the rest of the roster to kind of get built out through the draft and then after once you kind of have those players that you had on your board that you couldn't get, then you kind of look at, okay, what's the the best player available in this situation? Because I feel like the Browns roster overall, yes, there's still some needs, but there's not gaping holes where like you have to get this player, um, you know, or this position at that, at that round. Uh, I think there's some flexibility to go best player available. And then whatever veterans are left, um, I think you could find some value in terms of offering like a one-year contract after you already know, you know, these are the needs that we weren't able to fulfill. Because looking at someone like Melvin Ingram or Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram, um, not as much. I, I think Ingram and Dunlap will probably sign, um, you know, within the coming week. But someone like Jadavion Clowney or Justin Houston, um, they're going to try to find the best situation for them. And, you know, as as proud as it is to say, the Browns aren't in a situation where, you know, now there's just this bad team that no one wants to sign to, you know, they're legitimate AFC contenders. And when you have that kind of marketing tool, now you can have potentially a veteran that's willing to kind of sit out a little bit at the beginning of free agency, knowing that they're going to get less money because of what COVID did to the salary cap and then sign later on after the draft um, to a potential contender. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I don't get the sense that, that Andrew Barry's going to sort of, overplay his hand the other thing that could happen is is trades uh, you know I, I know it's been floated out there I really don't like think it's likely but just the idea of if the if the Browns could bring in Daniel Hunter would be just fun he obviously he's coming off a a, a relatively you know a neck surgery type situation so you have to investigate it but he seems to think he's healthy the fact that he wants more money uh, but 29 sacks and 74 pressures in two, the two years before that is just absurd. The idea that of adding that alongside uh, Miles Garrett is just ridiculous. And then, you know, I don't, I, I, I still don't think the Saints are done um, fixing their salary cap. And, and Marshawn Lattimore is taller. Uh, that that's a guy that they could still p- conceivably be in play for. I, I don't get the sense that they're in a rush, though. Uh, I do think they'll be patient and, and they, I think they understand what they have to offer guys. And, you know, again, some of these guys, it may just be, you know, they don't want to, they aren't in a rush to go to camp and off season stuff, which, you know, at least was the case with Jadevi and Clowney last year, who knows uh, that that's, that took all the way into, into the start of, even though it was, you know, that unusual training camp, he didn't make a decision until then. But, uh, you know, that that may be the thing. It's possible that we may get to a situation where the draft comes first and then they make some more moves. Uh, we'll see. I, again, some of these these older pass rushers in particular, they, they have the ability to sort of hang out and be patient 
for, for various reasons. I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes, but overall, I mean, you know, I, I don't love the idea that the Browns don't have that boundary corner or number two D end uh, established, but I don't think they have to feel like they have to do it or, or they've failed somehow. I mean, if all, if they have to, they could easily just draft two corners and two defensive ends uh, in this draft and just make a real uh, effort to just change the, 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 the rooms that they, they have and, and try to take more of a, a committee approach, uh, you know, defensive end that may be prudent anyway. So those are some of the options that they have. We'll see. I mean, a productive first week. Is, I mean, the thing is, it's like, it's still March 21st as, as we're recording this. So it's not as if like, it, there's, there's this sense that like, you know, we're running out of time. There's plenty of it. I, I, I don't, think anybody needs to get too worried about, well, are, are they going to miss out on anything? There's plenty of guys out there uh, that the Browns could be interested in. Definitely. Uh, so it's been great to finally have our first show uh, for the podcast. Um, do you have any closing remarks that you want to get out there before we um, head into the next week of free agency? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm like everybody else. I, there's a part of me that just can't wait to sort of get to this as much as, as, as much work as I have to do before we get to the draft. I'm sort of like ready to see where that goes. Definitely. So um, again, I'm Sean Stevenson. Um, that's Pete Smith. Make sure you guys give us a follow on Twitter at Browns Digest SI. Um, also, we do have a Facebook page that's Browns Maven. Um, again, the podcast will be every week posted on the Sports Illustrated Browns Digest website, as well as all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast will be available. And then again, uh, as we do more shows, you guys will have a more consistent schedule of when you guys can expect it. Again, we want to thank you so much for checking out the first episode of the Browns Digest podcast, and we will see you guys next time.